Welcome to Gaia's Disclosure Podcast. Go beyond the mainstream to uncover hidden truths and decode ancient origins. If you want to go deeper, visit Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower a community of fellow seekers. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com. According to esoteric teachings, survivors of lost ancient civilizations seeded us through the mystery schools and left behind a trail of symbolic breadcrumbs. In this episode, we will explore the origins of our ancient progenitors, what happened to them, and their influence on us today. Traditionally, there have been many theories about submerged continents such as Hyperborea or Plaxia, which was believed to exist in the far north of the Arctic Circle. It was mentioned by our ancient historians like Herodotus and Pliny the Elder. We're told that they were a beautiful race of giants and used flying machines to circumnavigate the Earth. They inhabited a land free from disease and old age where the sun would shine 24 hours a day. Then there was Mu in the Pacific Islands where Hawaii and Vanuatu is today. But probably the most famous of these legends comes from Atlantis Lemuria. The theories about Lemuria come from a 19th century British lawyer and zoologist, Philip Sclater, who was perplexed by the presence of lemur fossils in Madagascar and India after none could be found in mainland Africa or the Middle East. In 1864, he wrote an article entitled The Mammals of Madagascar, where he theorized that Madagascar and India were once part of a larger submerged continent in the Indian Ocean called Lemuria. And for a while, his theory was really starting to take off and was adopted everywhere. But what's confusing about this subject is that while some people use the name Lemuria as being synonymous with Atlantis or Mu, it didn't just come out of nowhere. It actually has a very specific geographically and linguistic connection. In my conversations with J.P. Hagg, a British lawyer and researcher living in Mauritius, he tells me that lemur is an ancient Malgesh word from Madagascar, meaning the souls of the departed. At the turn of the 20th century, it seemed like Sclater's Lemuria theory was completely debunked due to new sciences emerging at the time about continental drift and plate tectonics. However, that didn't stop Tamil revisionists from adopting the story into their literature around India, which they already had a similar pre-existing theory from around the second century CE that was written in the Salap Adi Karam, one of the five great Tamil epic stories. It was about this ancient place called Kumari Kandam that was ruled by the Pandian kings for 9,990 years. It says in there that the cruel sea took their land. The Tamil writers would also claim that this was the place where the Brahmins or priests reside, where Shiva was worshipped and where the Vedas are recited. Lemuria was even mentioned by the great Russian occultist and psychic Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. In The Secret Doctrine, Lemuria was called Shamali, and it was a lush, beautiful tropical paradise until volcanoes erupted everywhere, destroying it and submerging it underwater. According to Theosophists, Lemuria began over 34 and a half million years ago. It was inhabited by a hermaphrodite race of giants that were 15 feet tall, had four arms, and were coexisting with the dinosaurs around the middle of the Jurassic period. 
They would later evolve into various primitive hominid groups. The idea of a submerged continent is not hard to imagine if you think of places like Port Royal in Jamaica, just outside of Kingston, which was once a bustling port city of great importance to the British Empire and home to the pirate Sir Henry Morgan. Two-thirds of the town, or 33 acres, sunk into the sea within hours and disappeared off the map after an earthquake in 1692. And there are countless other places like this, such as Thonis Heracleon, just outside of Alexandria in Egypt, or the underwater temples discovered near Okinawa in Japan, and the submerged pyramids off the west coast of Cuba. In recent years, new interest has emerged into Sclater's Lemuria theory, and you might even say he's been vindicated. In fact, scientists have made important discoveries on the island of Mauritius, claiming that not only does this part of the Indian Ocean have a strong gravitational pull, indicating a thicker crust below, but they found a strange mineral crystal on its beaches called zircon that's three billion years old and has radioactive particles. This has puzzled geologists since Mauritius is only eight million years old. There's also a land bridge off the northwestern coast of Sri Lanka that connects to India and is made from limestone shoals or sandbars. It's called Rama's Bridge because of a story we get from the Indian epic, the Ramayana, when Rama is sent into exile by his father and has to rescue his wife Sita from Ravana, a 10-headed demon king. In order to complete that, he and his brother Lakshmana assemble a large army of ape-like men, but they need a way to cross the water. This is when they get help in its construction from the Vanaras, or the forest people. According to the story, the bridge was built in five days and was 100 leagues in length. This structure has also been called Adam's Bridge, which it's believed in Islam that this is the place that Adam fell from the Garden of Eden. But what's fascinating about that is that geologists now tell us that these places are in fact connected and the continent of Mauritius was part of an enormous supercontinent called Gondwana, which broke up and became Antarctica, Africa, Australia, and South America. Another interesting fact is that we know that the sand on the beach of Australia actually comes from Antarctica and is hundreds of millions of years old. Another strange fact is that Lake Titicaca in Peru is over 12,500 feet above sea level and has fossilized seashells and seahorses in it. Not only do we believe it was once a great seaport, but we know that the Andes are relatively new mountains. In other words, someone managed to get up there fast enough to build walls around the place. When I visited those parts with Brian Forrester, I was captivated by the megalithic structures at Tiwanaku and Pumapunku in Bolivia, where we find evidence for advanced machining and magnetic anomalies around the infamous H-blocks. The whole place is crawling with subterranean networks. Even the blocks there show vitrification from some sort of extreme heat or scorching by a cataclysmic event. But what I find most interesting about Mauritius is that there are these seven ancient pyramids there aligned with the bodies of Orion built from volcanic rock. Also think about what Blavatsky tells us with the eruptions of volcanoes destroying Lemuria. Nearby, there are connected islands and strange mountains in the shape of a skull and a lion or a sphinx shape. 
But speaking of pyramids and sphinxes, we cannot leave this subject without talking about Atlantis. The location of Atlantis has been speculated by countless scholars. We have the traditional theory held by Manley P. Hall, Ignatius Donnelly, and Blavatsky, who said that Atlantis was probably located in the middle of the Atlantic Ridge. That's right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Of course, in the story, we learn about something known as the Pillars of Hercules. Well, those could be the Rock of Gibraltar. And then, of course, we would see the Azores and Canary Islands acting like their mountain peaks, with a slow migration coming out while Europe was still under ice, melting after the last ice age. Even Rudolf Steiner, who used a science called Anthroposophy, an earlier type of remote viewing or psychic archaeology to look at what he called the Atlantean Epoch, claimed that it existed at a time when Europe was not even around. Why the Lemuria story is important is that we're told that Atlantis was an extension of the survivors of Lemuria in the same way that Egypt was an extension of the Atlanteans. They inherited their rituals, they inherited their teachings in the very same way that we are inheriting those of the ancient civilizations that came before us today. But if Egypt was an extension of the Atlanteans, we find similar structures to there all over the world. For example, we find pyramids on both sides of the Atlantic. We find pyramids over in Mexico with Chichen Itza, over in Teotihuacan. We find them over in Tikal in Guatemala. There's over 140 pyramids in the Azorean Islands, and some of the largest pyramids in the world are found in China. This was a continental diffusion of culture. Where I think people go wrong in theorizing the location of Atlantis is they think much too small. When we want to imagine where these great pre-cataclysmic civilizations existed, we have to think of these supercontinents or think of Pangaea, where when we look at a map or an atlas, you see it looks like all the continents fit together like puzzle pieces. Even in the Bible, we find in Genesis 10, 25, it says, and to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days, the earth was divided. This is literally telling us that we have records of a great continental diffusion of cultures. Well, we know that the original Atlantis story at the Temple Nefru has since washed away on the Nile Delta. We find an exact copy of that story over at the Temple of Edfu in Egypt. When I visited there with Egyptologist Mohammed Ibrahim, he's decoded the entire story on the wall for me as we see these great seafaring people. And what's really interesting about the advanced knowledge and culture they brought with them, on the walls we notice that there is a great cataclysmic event portrayed above them with a serpent that is coming down to destroy them. And while some authors and researchers out there like Graham Hancock have theorized that this illustration depicts an asteroid of sorts coming towards the Earth, we know in the mysteries that the serpent always represents electromagnetic energy. I think that what happened is, around 12,000 years ago, the Atlanteans were experimenting with this energy and gravity using our Earth's grid of ley lines, harnessed by the power of pyramids and obelisks, causing something that geologists call the Younger Dryas Cataclysm, or the Meltwater Pulse 1b. 
This melted the polar ice caps, causing sea levels to rise. And what we would have found is there was a shift in the axis of the Earth by 23 and a half degrees, moving the equatorial lines. But I think there could have been a combination of asteroids and solar eruptions. This would have caused a change in the Earth's gravitational fields, causing a mini ice age. That means that the North and South Pole would have been very different places. As even Emmanuel Velikloski points out in Worlds in Collision, that we can find flash-frozen tropical flora and fauna and mammals in the Arctic. When I visited the ancient temples of Egypt with Brian Forrester, we've gone to places like Luxor and Karnak, and Brian has used various instruments like his Tesla meters to measure the pre-cataclysmic entrances to the temples. And what he's found is that these are 23 and a half degrees off from the cardinal directions of north, east, south, west. This proves the theory that these temples existed at a time before the cataclysms. At that point, we're told that the surface of the Earth became unlivable, so these groups descended into the subterranean depths of the Earth. One author named Valerie Bonwick has a very interesting series of books which she claims to be in telepathic contact with the survivors of Atlantis called the Dagonites and tells us that they have underwater bases to this day. Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet, tells us that before the destruction of this great continent, the Atlanteans were scientifically advanced and had flying machines and submarines. Could their survivors have seeded our civilizations after the cataclysms? I tend to think so. We learn from Diordus of Sicily, who wrote in the Bibliotheque Historica in 50 BCE, that the Egyptians were strangers who, in remote times, settled on the banks of the Nile, bringing with them the civilization of their mother country, which might have been Atlantis, the art of writing in a polished language. They'd come from the direction of the setting sun, or the far west, and were the most ancient of men. So we know that the Atlanteans spread out after these cataclysms. According to Plutarch, the gods of ancient Egypt were actually the antediluvian or pre-cataclysmic kings who were deified or made into gods after death. This was probably the way that the dynastic Egyptians saw them as these great gods or their progenitors, the survivors of Atlantis. Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today? They still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com. Perhaps J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings wasn't far off when he talked about the Middle Earth. As we've heard about the inhabitants of Cappadocia, Turkey, the tunnels used by the Templar Knights under Scotland, and the Tuat the Danann of the people of the goddess of Danu in Ireland that arrived onto their shores with flying ships, only later to flee underground with the arrival of the Fear Bullet or the men with bags. Maybe some of you have heard of the men with bags as we find pictures of them from all over the world. Some theorize all kinds of crazy things like maybe they're holding some kind of psychedelic substance and they're handing it to primitive people out of their bags or this is some sort of weapon from the future that has electromagnetic qualities. 
but the answer is more mundane as we find them from the Assyrians, the Akkadians, the Phoenician Canaanites, the Etruscans, and many people do trip out on them. But when I wanted to get the story about them, I had to visit the British Museum and talk to the historians about these depictions that we find on the reliefs or the depictions on the walls at the Assyrian section of the museum. Their answer was very interesting. When we look at them directly, you see they're holding something in their hand. I was told that is the date or the date palm. And in their bag, I'm told that that is pollen. Why that's very interesting is that these are the ancient pollinators of humanity. We know the date palm has long since been associated in the Middle East with beekeepers that need a beehive for harvesting honey. What's also very interesting about this symbology is that all the early Egyptian and Babylonian kings were called the beekeepers. When Adam Weishau was first starting the Bavarian Illuminati on May 1st, 1776, he originally wanted to call them the beekeepers. In fact, we find this symbolism is very important to Freemasonry and our secret societies, as the little honeybee is very industrious and it's associated with hard work and determination. We even find that the coin of Ephesus had a bee on it. When we examine the headdress or the nimbus of the Egyptian king, according to Manly P. Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages, not only does this represent the auric body or the energy field, but we might also look at it as representing the honeybee. This is very important when we consider the fact that the early Egyptian kings were all called the beekeepers, and this represents their role as the great pollinators of humanity. But speaking of ancient worlds, when we go back to J.R.R. Tolkien, we know he spent a lot of time writing at a pub near the Cliffs of Moor, right next to the Gollum Caves. And of course, in the story, Smeagol turns into the Gollum creature, obsessed with a golden ring forged by Dark Lord Sauron in the fires of Mount Doom as he hissed, my precious. Do we have anthropological evidence for such extinct races and civilizations? Well, we have to look no further than a short ancient hominin race that lived over 17,000 years ago that are literally called hobbits, or Homo florsensis. They were discovered on the Flores Island of Indonesia. And then there are the legends of the four-foot-tall pygmy people who inhabited Greenland in northern Canada, mentioned in the 16th century by the geographer Mercator. We're told they were wiped out by large and aggressive birds or cranes. Manly P. Hall tells us in The Secret Teachings of All Ages that today's civilization was inherited from the Atlanteans with our arts and crafts, philosophies and sciences, ethics and religions, but also our hate, our strife and our perversions. The Atlanteans instigated the first war and all other wars after those were fought in a fruitless effort to justify the first one and right the wrong which it caused. Blavatsky tells us in her work, Ices Unveiled, that Atlantis became corrupted and fell under an evil ruler of the air, Tetfetat. This caused the Atlanteans to become wicked magicians, or maybe we could say scientists, and a war was declared. This was created out of a disfigured allegory of the race of Cain or giants and the story of Noah. If we think about the famous story of Noah's Ark for a moment, biblical scholars maintain that it can be found on top of Mount Ararat in present-day Armenia. This is very significant when we think of the story as Noah the Atlantean. 
After all, we're told that much like the story of the flood in Genesis, where the water rose up from the earth of the underwater mantle, Atlantis suffered earthquakes and floods, swallowing it up as we find a lot of interesting clues when we look up at migration patterns towards high altitude places like the Ural Mountains in Eurasia, Machu Picchu or Tibet. Blavatsky goes on to say, the conflict came to an end by the submersion of the Atlantis, which finds its imitation in the stories of the Babylonian and Mosaic flood. The giants and magicians and all flesh died in every man, all except Exutherus and Noah, who are substantially identical with the great father of the Thlinkithians in the Popol Vol, or the sacred book of the Guatemalans, which also tells of his escaping in a large boat like the Hindu Noah, Vesvasvata. We know before Atlantis was submerged underwater, its spiritually illumined masters and initiates recognized that Atlantis was on a path of destruction and it deviated from the light. So they established themselves in Egypt, where they became the first divine rulers. These priests brought with them the sacred and secret doctrine, which is where the myth of the dying God, astrological sciences, the cross and the serpentine rulers came from. Even the colors of red, white, and blue that we find on the American flag came from Atlantis. This is also connected to Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Nearly all our great cosmological myths forming the foundation of the various sacred books of the world are based upon the Atlantean mystery traditions. Another great secret about how the Atlantis story has been preserved is that if you go into the last book of the Bible called Revelation, this is based on something called the Book of the Apocalypse. But if you ask any good Christian out there who wrote the Book of Revelation, they will tell you it came from John of Patmos. But of course we know that John of Patmos is belonging to something called the Johannian or Johannian theory that attributes this book to him. But all the great church fathers that came along from Martin Luther to Erasmus, they all dismissed this. They said the book of Revelation was not a Christian book and it was tossed out of the Bible over a dozen times. We know that when Christianity came to take over paganism and Christianize the mysteries, this was a way of the pagan doctrines being preserved. In fact, if you go to any good minister and ask them to really decode what the symbolism in this book means, they'll have a pretty hard time really telling you its origins. The reason for that is that this book comes from these very ancient monks that lived on that island called Patmos in this rocky area of the Aegean Sea. They served two gods. One of those gods' name was Attis, and the other was Ion, the god of the air and electricity. This is just like, as Blavatsky said, the Atlanteans were ruled over by an invisible serpent king of the air called Tetvatat. Well, Ion was this god that was ruling over them and gave them this book of the apocalypse. Well, in this story, we find that it is essentially the Atlantis story. In the Atlantis story, we have the seven cities. Well, in the book of Revelation, when it was Romanized, we know that there are seven hills of Rome. It's talking about a warning for an advanced civilization that you don't want to take a mark 
to buy, sell, or trade, and is describing a beast system, which very much sounds like some sort of artificial intelligence or other sorts of advanced systems that led to the corruption and the downfall of the Atlanteans. But the Atlantis story doesn't end there, as the mystery schools have seeded many civilizations, which every time one is destroyed, another rises from the ashes, like the great Phoenician firebird known as the Phoenix. This brings us to the story of Sir Francis Bacon in the 16th century. Sir Francis Bacon is known as the father of modern Freemasonry. We know he was born Francis Tudor, and he was the bastard son of Queen Elizabeth. According to esoteric teachings, Francis Bacon was the true identity of William Shakespeare. This comes from something known as the Baconian theory, where we're told that there's no way that Shakespeare, who was a Stratford man who could barely spell his own name, could write these brilliant and incredible books with so many layers of different analogies and ideas and stories. And what we're told is that he was writing these books to prepare the minds of the civilization for something he called the New Atlantis, which was the great plot to build America from the Masonic orders and secret societies. These great works were a way of elevating our consciousness and bringing us to a point where we wouldn't make the same mistakes as the past. In the very same way, you might say that we are currently evolving for our next great unfolding of civilization. If there's a takeaway from studying Atlantis, Lemuria, and ancient civilization, we know that they rose to greatness. We know at times they were drunk on ambition and had the psychosis of success, which later became their downfall. As we look to the future, let us not make the same mistakes as the past, but grow from all that we have inherited from them. We should ask ourselves, how can we be of service to others, be more kind and compassionate, and learn to be the caretakers of this planet? Let us grow and evolve together into an even greater civilization than ever before. I'm Johnny Enoch, and thanks for watching Mystery Teachings. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Disclosure Podcast. To learn even more, go to Gaia.com, where you can watch interviews, movies, and original series. Gaia.com, content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com.